Dit is Carlijn Postma, schrijfster van het boek Binge Marketing, het beste scenario voor het bouwen van je merk. En jij luistert naar de Marketingboek Podcast. This is Carlijn Postma, author of Binge Marketing, the best scenario for building your brand. And you are listening to the Marketingboek Podcast. Welcome to the Marketingboek Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in or you'd like to learn more about, send me a connection invite on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. But, and this is important, make sure to include a message with your connection invite telling me that you're a marketing book podcast listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer. This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no cost? You can with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. It's a new, very advanced, and easy-to-use free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use... Even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at hrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Carline Postma to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, Binge Marketing, The Best Scenario for Building Your Brand. Carline Postma is a Dutch content marketing strategist as founder of The Post, a leading content marketing agency in the Netherlands. She translated her unique binge marketing methodology into practice. Her efforts for the content marketing profession have not gone unnoticed. Carline is a much sought-after speaker on international stages. In 2014, she was ranked 27th in the international list of 200 most influential people in the field of content marketing. And in 2017, she was awarded with the title Content Marketing Woman of the Year in the Netherlands. And interesting fact, she is the first author on the show from the Netherlands. Carline, congratulations on binge marketing and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for this brilliant introduction. I'm happy to be there, be here and also honored to be the first Dutch person on the show. Oh, and I'd, hopefully there will be many more. And as a favor to you and my listener, my many listeners in the Netherlands, I will skip <laughs> all the jokes about wooden clogs, tulips, Heineken, eating herring, and, and living in, in windmills. But I did do some research, uh, Carline. Uh, the Dutch are the tallest people in the world. Did you know that? No, but I not really that we're the tallest, but I think it has something to do with the potatoes. Ah, okay, well, whatever it takes. Um, and on a recent study, a UN study, I think it was, it said that the Dutch are the fourth most happiest people in the world. So I visited the Netherlands, you know, did my holy pilgrimage to the Heineken Brewery, but I also went to the Rijk Museum. And the reason there are so many listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast in the Netherlands, and there are more listeners in the Netherlands than any other country on the continent of Europe. The reason 
there are so many there is because the Dutch are such attractive people, and I happen to have the most attractive listeners in all of uh, the podcast world. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but it's a, it's, it's a proven fact. So we were both at Content Marketing World in 2018, but I'm, I regret that I didn't get to, to meet you. And uh, I noticed in the book you referenced uh, a keynote given by Andrew Davis, and you talked about Joe Polizzi. So it was, uh, it was really great to see them in the book. And when I first heard about your book from your publisher in London, all I had to see was the word binge in the title, and I thought, oh, that is my, that's a book for me. But apparently, it's not about binge drinking. It's about <laughs> uh, binge marketing. And I just love the idea of your book, and it's, it's led to endless discussions with my content director uh, all day long. Let me just read one uh, brief excerpt from the beginning of the book, and uh, we'll get into this binge marketing. You write, all day long, we're confronted with content from countless brands and companies. So what's the secret to Hollywood's success? How do series creators in Hollywood manage to get us hooked for hours on their stories, while marketers have to scramble to get only a fraction of that attention? In this book, I guide you through what we would call the default Hollywood scenario, with practical guidelines to make the best use of heroes, journeys, cliffhangers, serial content, and much more, with the aim of helping you build a long-term relationship with your audience. After all, a loyal, committed audience is more likely to accept or buy something from you than the accidental passerby. Now, Carline, perhaps it's a, a Dutch thing, a, a genetic thing. I don't know. That, that I didn't realize that the Dutch are among the top five countries that sell TV formats internationally. Oh, yeah. So maybe that was it. But tell us what inspired you to connect content marketing with the the masterful skills of of Hollywood storytellers. Yeah, well, I I think it's it's um, it began with my own addiction. <laughs> I have to admit that because it, well, well, you you started that, uh, about uh, binge drinking and binge. It can have a little uh, negative um, sound, but with binge watching, um, well, it's it's meant that we watch three or more episodes at once. Uh, from one series and that's what happens to me a lot uh actually every evening and <laughs> it's a healthy it's a healthy uh, bad habit i think uh, a lot of of your listeners will recognize that <laughs> oh yes but some may not admit it no exactly that's uh, well that's the first step you have to admit <laughs> you have to admit it and then <laughs> you can use it yes this no, is but, turning into a support group thank you yeah <laughs> Yeah, but what what happened is um, I was well. Maybe it's it's just a, a small anecdote that I also use in my book. It was every evening that I was watching um, a series. It was on Netflix um, once upon a time. From it was from ABC, but it was on Netflix. And every evening I argued with my two children, with my two daughters, that after this episode you have to go to bed. And then they say yes, but they didn't do it. So we argued evening after evening, and. Um, that's when I thought, how how is it that we are well in my day job? I'm working with content and creating content and getting people to to watch it or listen to it or read it over and over again, and that's that's quite a difficult job. So that's when I matched those worlds actually with um, uh, with content marketing, where we try to get a story across, um, and we and I compared it into uh, to Hollywood marketing, well what they do at Netflix and what the series, the creators of series are doing is they just keep on telling the story. 
And that's where I saw the connection between those two worlds. And I just, well, I think I started fantasizing about it. How could it, how could we use the, the things they know in Hollywood so well, all, well, for decades already? And in marketing, we are not using it. We, we're trying to reinvent our profession in the last decade or something, I think. So I think we can learn so much more from the creators of series because those are the, the greatest storytellers and audience builders. Two, two things we have to do in content marketing as well. So that's y- where it started. Yes, and I appreciate you making the connection. I appreciate you writing the book. It just makes so much sense that it hurts <laughs> and to study how they're doing it. And as we both know, they're very, very good at it. Explain what you mean when you say an audience is not the same as a target group and why an audience is preferable for binge marketing. Yeah, well, um, I get get this question a lot because, well, we we are all um, conditioned with thinking in in target groups and um, what, well, if if we are going uh, into binge marketing, then we decided to um, translate whatever we want to say into text or video or audio. And, uh, well, that, that's, that is, um, for, for all those things, you need, uh, readers, viewers and listeners. And that is an audience. And an audience decides for itself if it wants to be your audience. And the target group is decided, um, by you as a brand, whether it wants to be your audience, a target group or not. And that's why I say it. I prefer to have an audience instead of uh, having um, reach within my target group because that audience says, I want to be your audience. I like your content. I want to read, listen, or watch more of your content. And that's what we what we are in for. Yes, and I just loved, I've got a quote from your book. Uh, you write, an audience manages itself. Unlike a target group, an audience decides for itself whether it wants to be an audience. A target group is the result of a rather selfish approach taken by the brand. The brand determines what its target group is, regardless of whether that target group agrees. That's just so... whether it's binge marketing, it's just so relevant for people to to understand because there's so much self orientation and 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 so much of marketing and you know companies want to talk about them themselves. Uh, I mentioned the word serial earlier. Explain what you mean when you say that binge marketing is all about serial content. Um, yeah, well, I already explained that binging binging a series is like watching three or more episodes at once and um what you want is that your audience wants your audience <laughs> wants to read view or listen uh, to your content and you're building an audience well actually there are three key elements for binge marketing if you want to start with and serial is just one of the three mm-hmm. but the first is of course it's it's all about audience development you're in it to get an audience for the long run so you're building on the relationship um to, to get people to want to consume your content. And if you want an audience, then, well, I think it's, it's mandatory to have uh, serial content because you cannot build an audience from just one episode. Yes. So and a lot of people think more. they do just one thing. <laughs> That's going to suddenly uh, open uh, the clouds and money will come pouring in. Yeah. Well, um, 
that's not true. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Well, it, it works, of course, for a short-term goal um, with a lot of budget, maybe. But if you if you want to, that's why it's it's called a scenario for building your brand. It's it's a long-term uh, strategy to build an audience and to get your brand out in the open and and have people want to consume the content from your brand. And that's that's not something you can do with um, one campaign or one um, great. Uh, uh, interview for for something. Yes, and there's something else you talk about that I just wasn't aware of, and it's the the hook episode. Can you yeah. explain uh, what that is? And I, if I'm not mistaken, the Dutch are usually some. They're some of the ones that uh, get hooked earlier than other audiences in other countries. Yeah, there was. It was from uh, I think it was it was from a press release from Netflix or something that I saw that the Dutch hooked um, one episode earlier than um, uh, the international uh, audiences. And the hooked episode is, is actually the episode after which you can't stop watching. <laughs> so you're addicted. <laughs> we, yeah, we addict a, lo- a lot earlier than the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. No, but it's... Um, uh, I don't know... I. I I don't have the um, the numbers yet in in content marketing or in binge marketing when you uh, use content as a brand, but it is an interesting fact that um, what is the episode that keeps people that after which episode will people um, subscribe to your content? For example, that's that's actually what it can be translated in uh, if you're talking about content and binge marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I have been in this line of work for a number of years, and I had to smile when you wrote that um, until the early 21st century, the life of a marketing and communication professional was nicely structured. (laughs) (laughs) Then what happened, and and why is that such a problem, and why does uh, binge marketing respond to that? Um, Yeah, well, I started uh, at an advertising agency in uh, 2000, I think. What we had to do is we had to create ads and uh, commercials. And we sent the ads in four films, I think, <laughs> to uh, uh, the press, uh, the print, the printed magazines and stuff. And a, a, a Betamax, I think it's called. <laughs> I, I oh, yeah. Really yeah, think. that goes back. You had to send the <laughs> tape over. Yeah. Yes, I came from the same world, the ad world. Okay. And that's yeah. why it really resonated with me. Yeah, well, and, and it was actually... It was my first job, so it was very difficult. But if you look back at it, it was so easy because that's the only thing you had to do. And now if you create something, a campaign or, um, uh, well, a series, in in my case of binge marketing, you have to think of all the channels that your audience will be present and how to get the um, the story out there. So it, it's it's so much. And I, I also think it's, it's very hard to um, measure all the effects of, of what you're doing. And in the early days, I don't think we did measure um, outside of reach. Right, reach and maybe frequency or yeah. gross rating <laughs> points or something like that. Yes, it but was. But now we uh, want so much more. And, and uh, of course, we, it's it's relevant to, to have all the information. But I think if we, well, that would, that would be my um, suggestion to start building an audience and if your audience is growing you will also see that if you do it right your sales will be growing yes and the fragmentation of media now 
is just so um, it almost seems exponential. <laughs> like it's worse yeah. <laughs> next week than it was last week, or or it's more challenging. I shouldn't say it's it's worse, but it's uh, it, again, it takes yeah. me back to the idea of an audience. They're so, they're deciding whether they want to pay attention to you or not. You can't really interrupt your way into uh, people's attention very very well. Yeah. Um, well, the the the, the effort, well, what is it called? Um, commercials on TV. It's that was what we had to do if we want to if we wanted to reach a mass uh, uh, audience. But that's not enough. You can't reach a mass audience with only a TV ad. No, no, and and, and trust me, back when we had a captive audience, it worked beautifully. <laughs> it yeah. was a sometimes a correlation between the client's budget. And their market share. So it was really sort of oh, a, yeah. an arms race. And those days are all over, but I think a lot of that mindset is still firmly uh, in existence. Um, another uh, concept in your book that I liked, and I'm going to steal this term just so you know, uh, it's phantom goals. Uh, explain yeah. what you mean when you write that virtually all short-term goals are nothing but phantom goals and why that's so counterproductive for binge marketing. Um, yeah, well, phantom goals, I had to think about what it was, but <laughs> because it was translated, of course, but the phantom goals is, um, the goal that's not really the main objective that you're after, but we do, uh, navigate on those phantom goals. For example, if you want to, we, we get a lot of, if I ask for what is your job, job to be done? What is it that you want to accomplish with your content marketing strategy? Then, I also always get a list with, uh, we want uh, uh, brand awareness, we want um, uh, bigger sales numbers, and uh, we also want uh, 100,000 Facebook followers or fans <laughs> or whatever. So <laughs> then I have to narrow it down that the, the Facebook followers is a phantom goal because you can put everything in it, but that's that's a phantom goal. It's, it's not the real... Um, uh, objective that you're after mm -hmm. um, maybe brand awareness that could be your priority goal um, and if you go with the f the um, the brand awareness uh, as as your job to be done that will give you a, a completely different um, binge marketing strategy than when you say i i need 100,000 facebook fans it, it needs a, a different story so um, the phantom goals are all the goals that in the silos within organizations are um, putting their budget, times, and efforts in, and it does not really suit up to the, the main objective that you have as a brand. And so it, it's more like the sub-goals that, um, that you want to achieve as, um, as, a, as a, a, a stop in between before you get to the main goal. Mm-hmm. And some of these short-term goals then are just so focused on the short-term that they don't understand they're part of a longer uh, narrative of, uh, of a story? Yeah, that's, that's what I mean with um, uh, you get a completely different uh, kind of story. You, you can imagine if you create a series for, um, for Facebook to get that, that number of, of uh, fans – it's a completely different story than when you say I, I want to create more uh, or, or I want to be a thought leader, for example, mm -hmm. uh, in my profession. It creates a completely different kind of story. And um, if you have to, we really have to focus on that main objective, on the job to be done, the, the, the highest priority you can find within all the goals you get if you ask what do you want to achieve with your marketing efforts. Um, 
So, and if you, if you narrow it down from uh, becoming a thought leader, then it gives you so um, many different uh, episodes than when you say, uh, I need to sell uh, 100 bicycles this week, for example. Mm-hmm. Yes, and was it in your book that I learned that there are more bicycles in the Netherlands than people? Or maybe it was, maybe <laughs> it that was, was not my of, book, but okay. there was a. <laughs> it was part but of this extensive possible. research I do for each interview. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Most of them are in the canal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the canal. Okay, yes. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Are you sick of your competitors outranking you in search results? Wish there was an easier way to get more Google traffic? What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings, and then get clear and simple advice on what to do to fix it so you can increase your website visibility on Google for free? With the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, you can do it. They'll help you quickly improve your site's Google visibility by showing you over 100 technical issues that might be holding back your site's search performance, as well as how to simply fix them. Plus, the tool shows the sites that link to you, so you'll know your most linked pages, and the keywords your pages are ranking for in order to tweak your content and increase your monthly organic search traffic. This used to be something reserved for professional SEOs, who had special knowledge and access to expensive tools, but now you can do this in minutes with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free. And this isn't one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a super powerful tool that'll do a full website audit for you and keep working for you for free. You know, when you realize just how valuable this free tool is and how much it can help grow your business, you might want to think about showing your appreciation by sending the host of the Marketing Book Podcast a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Something to think about. Just putting it out there. (laughs) I'm kidding. Not really. But seriously, we've been using Ahrefs at my firm for years, and I'm delighted to have them back as a sponsor. Check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash AWT. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll also include the link in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com and include a video that shows you how it works. So Hollywood has something the rest of the world is, you know, as you say, still kind of waiting for, and that's uh, showrunners. And can you, can you explain what a showrunner is and, and why that mindset could be so helpful for content marketing? Yeah, well, I always say that uh, your content marketing director or uh, a CMO or whatever um, should pretend he is a showrunner. Mm-hmm. He or she. Of course, I have to say that. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> um, and what is a, a showrunner? What do they do? I think people may know what a director is, but. Yeah, well, the showrunner is, is actually the one uh, that is um, the director of the story uh, from uh, of the series. Um, uh, how can I explain that? Um, because a director, that, that's also what we call, um, how, they, how we call it in, in, in uh, Europe. Um, but a showrunner is more like the one creating the story and also he's, he's responsible for uh, directing the, the team of production, but also directing uh, the team of writers. And he's even the one responsible for um, uh, uh, the numbers, the numbers of, of people watching the series. So the showrunner owns the story, 
um, not necessarily the, and, and they, you say they supervise the production, but they're the ones. There's also a term that you use, which I remember from my days in New York producing these, when we would have a really big television production, it was like a script supervisor. Talk about what okay. they, that, that, that's, they, they work for the showrunner as well, right? Uh, it could be. I, discri- I, I don't know every um, everyone that works on a, on a series. Unfortunately, I would love to get to know everyone. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, the main idea is that there is one person responsible for the, the complete line of the story. So um, uh, that showrunner is responsible for um, episode six, for example, that it's still the same series for, as it was in uh, episode two mm-hmm. and also in season two, episode 10. And this is something that we uh, lack in content marketing because um, we are running campaigns. So you can see it as one episode or maybe a small season. And then we start all over again with a new one. But if we have one showrunner that is responsible for the brand, for the brand story, and that it um, it really supervises uh, the story throughout all the episodes and uh, I, th- I don't think I mentioned this already, but, but binge marketing, we translate your brand story into the scenario of a great television series. Mm-hmm. And every piece of content is an episode of that same series. And it's 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 important uh, uh, thing because I... Is this the plot I, summary? This is the plot summary, really. Mm-hmm. Um, because every episode and every piece of content you can see as an episode of that same series. And as I say here, the same series, because we have to recognize it in season two as well. And that's uh, the job of one showrunner. Right. You know, after reading your book, I realized how this has been working on me as a consumer. I've watched, uh, like I was going to buy some tools recently, so I started watching these shows on YouTube about uh, carpentry or, or certain things, and I, next thing I know, I was subscribing, and it was it was really consistent, and I, I just I was like, oh, that's what she's talking about. <laughs> I didn't realize how well it was working because I guess it was it was uh, so smooth. And you compare the, back to this plot summary, which was fascinating to me. So, like we're both from the ad world, we used to have these things called creative briefs, where you uh-huh. know, go do the ad. And it would include certain parameters and things that the creative people needed to have. And you um, explain that the plot summary is more like the movie synopsis you see on the back of a of a DVD case. Yeah. And it's always written in the third person as an <laughs> independent storyteller. So, what would be an is there maybe an example from one of your clients where you're you you, you present this story idea, this plot summary idea, and then they all sort of get it after a while. Uh, when I when I use this for clients, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the plot summary is is exactly what you said. It's like the brief for creatives, but for all creatives. Um, what I um, really anyone creating content, I guess. Actually, yeah. Um, and what we see that um, brands are using uh, or are working with a lot of different agencies and different creators of content. So it it it's really. Um, uh, useful and helpful to have this plot summary as a basis for your for for all the content that is being created from your brand. So, um, yes, indeed, it's it's something. I always call it like um, the synopsis at the back of a DVD or um, uh, the excerpt on um, uh, IMDb. If you if you oh yeah yeah DVDs mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. 
no, no, and I, you're telling someone else to mm-hmm. uh, what your ser- series is about, and that's why I say it's from the third person. You're telling someone else what the series of your brand is about, and it's it gives you the opportunity to um, get a little distance from uh, the story, and it helps every creator that you work with to really get into that story. If it has to be an episode that could be on the same DVD or in the same series, then it should fit the, the plot summary. Yes. It's just a great paradigm to get folks to better understand that they, <laughs> again, I've said this before, they have an audience rather than talking so much about themselves. Yeah. I've worked with any number of companies over the years, and I'm sure you have as well, where they're just very self-oriented. They want to talk about their products, their services, and it's just, mm-hmm. they're going to be you can almost guarantee they're going to be um, invisible. So, you know, back again, back to our ad agency world. I, I, I was again. I had to smile when you were reminding readers that you know marketers are traditionally, I think you could argue, more visual and and text oriented. And I was wondering if you could explain the importance of having what you call uh, three dimensional brand guidelines because it really seems like a requirement, and yet. It, it, we still seem to be stuck in the world of graphic standards. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that, that's right, <laughs> and uh, uh, we have to think about our brand as in uh, a three D, three dimensional world that your brand is 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 um, living in. And I think I uh, wrote it down in regard to um, also using sound and music, but it's it's like a three D character that you have to create as well. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if we get back to the plot summary, a plot summary contains of, of four ingredients, and the first is who is your main character, and so so who is the most logical person or per group of persons to tell your story to your audience. Um, in in the example, if you're um, uh, if your job to be done, your main objective is to become thought leader, then it could be wise to use your employees your expert employees as a main character in your story Mm -hmm. and when you when you are doing that you also have to write down what is this character about can we describe this character and that's more than uh, we use blue and uh, yellow in our (laughs) in our (laughs) guidelines so what does this person do what what how does it talk um what does it how does it sound mm-hmm. and that that's something uh, you also add to uh, to the plot summary so so who is telling your story and another thing is what is your arena where does it take place that's also a three dimensional thing where does it take place is it like in a hospital very concrete in a hospital it's it's in the, the well in the lobby of the hospital or in the waiting room of the hospital you can you can understand what i mean but we also have to think about uh, the place and the time and the circumstances. Because if I told you that the series is in a hospital while an epidemic is going around, it gives you a, a real, um, it, it gives you it gives you another idea about the series. Mm-hmm. And this is the three dimensional thing we're talking about, and this is the heart of your brand in content. Yes. So there was. Uh you, you talked about the customer journey, and I just wanted to quote from one part in the book. You write <clears throat> that the customer journey, the, which a lot of listeners will know about, uh, they've heard this expression, 
The journey from the first moment of contact via all possible touch points up to and including the moment of sale and the more extensive customer journeys then continue (laughs) into the after-sales period. You write, however, that it's a great model, but it's not the most suitable approach for binge marketing. Why so? Well, um, your main goal is to create an audience for the long run. And within that audience, you will get your sales. But um, creating an audience is not getting him to uh, to 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 get the to the sales point as soon as possible. I know a lot of the salespeople listening will be disappointed to hear that, but it's true. <laughs> I'm so sorry to you, <laughs> salespeople. But we, but um, maybe if if we explain this, um, once you've get you've you've got the, the the first touch point and you are nurturing your. Um, Potential customer. Let's let's make let's let's say that for the for the salespeople. Okay. Um, your potential customer. You you create uh, a relationship with him. Then I think you can um, buy. Uh, well, let him buy more and multiple times from you if it's an audience that really connects with your brand. So that's why binge marketing. It's about content. It's about the 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 episodes with um, what you are. Uh, want what you want to say to your audience as a brand, but also what is relevant for your brand at the moment that uh, he is really work well ready for it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so if your goal is to create an audience, then you shouldn't get him through your sales funnel um, as soon as you can, of as, as quickly as you can. But <laughs> I'm laughing <laughs> you have to, to keep from crying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, but but that's that's why I don't use uh, the customer journey, yeah. but I use the audience journey. And our main goal, the reward in this 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 journey, is trust with from your uh, audience. Yes, and that leads us to you, you talk about Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, uh, which has been mentioned in several books about storytelling. But can you explain a bit about? using a hero's journey or adapting the hero's journey, explain what it is and yeah. how that relates so well for binge marketing rather than thinking about a customer journey. Yeah, well, there are two ways to use this hero's journey. First of all, we are talking about storytelling. So um, the hero's journey is is the basic framework, the basic structure that Joseph Campbell found in, uh, well, all stories, uh, from religious stories to, um, well, ancient stories and and fairy tales that every story is built upon the same uh, steps um there's a hero and there's a there's a character a main character and he's going through all kinds of um uh adventures to become a more mature and wise man or woman <laughs> mm-hmm. so um this this you can read this in almost every movie or um uh, story that you will uh, you you will you will read about. In fact, um, Carleen, in your book, you included a disclaimer saying, I'm about to ruin <laughs> yeah. every movie that you're about to watch because there are no new story ideas. Here's how it works. I always start my presentations with the, the spoiler warning, the spoiler alert. It's uh, <laughs> oh, a good idea. You, you have to do that um, because I always ruin Finding Nemo. Now, <laughs> 99% <laughs> of my audience already <laughs> seen Finding Nemo. Uh-huh. Um, but 
every story, every um, blockbuster from Hollywood is is like that. And yes. even uh, the Queen's Gambit, which is brilliantly made, and, and there, it's a perfect hero story going through all six episodes. Um, but once you know about the hero's journey, you can read it um, throughout every, well, every uh, episode of the, the the series. But what I did is not only use this for storytelling because it's really useful to create your series upon. But um, what I found out in the last couple of years in my own agency is that this hero's journey is also exactly the same journey that your audience is going through mm-hmm. on his personal quest. And um, for example, it starts every journey, every film, every uh, well, let's let's start with the with the movies. Every journey, no, sorry, every movie starts with an ordinary world of the main character. Mm-hmm. Nothing is going on; he's just living his life. Nothing. Um, Nothing happens. And then there is um, the second step of this hero's journey, and that's the call to adventure. So th- this is actually where we have to put in the spoiler alert <laughs> for every movie. But uh, it's the call to adventure. So something happens, the hero uh, or the main character of the movie has to leave his, his ordinary world and go on a journey. And uh, step three is the resistance. I don't want to go on this journey because I'm so happy where I am or I'm afraid of what I'm going through, what I have to go through. And then there is a mentor, uh, someone that helps this hero to get through all the steps of the journey. Well, this this is just an example of the four steps. There are 12 Mm -hmm. and very interesting uh, and you cut it down. You cut it down from the seventeen original ones, right? Yeah, exactly. Thank no, you. well, no, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, Christopher Vogler did, and he oh, is the right. one that, yes. that um, extracted it from um, Disney? Luke Skywalker. Okay, yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned several of these other um, uh, books. Um, yeah. So I, I was just going to say, if, if people don't remember much about a hero's journey or, or it's new to them, uh, there was one part where you, know, you say you can think of three phases. The, yeah. the departure from the known world, which is mm-hmm. you just described, the adventure in an unknown world full of challenges, and then the return to the known world more mature and experienced. There. Yeah. Now you're not the only one spoiling every movie. For- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you. to participate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly, and and what I just mentioned is is only the first, um, the, the part from uh, the known world. But let me just have uh, compare this to your audience as well, because, and and this may be a shock for sales and marketing people in your audience, but <laughs> the first step, the ordinary world of your audience is your audience is living his life and is not waiting for you for your story. Although you think they are. Did everyone just hear what she said? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. They're not waking up saying, man, I really hope I see an ad or some (laughs) some content about something I don't think I need. Yeah, but this is is, actually, this is a a really big deal (laughs) because we do think that people are waiting for us, are waiting for what we are trying to say. But this is this is the part where nothing is going on. I'm just living my life and doing nothing uh, or, or doing a lot of things, but not the things you want me to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then um, what what this this journey explains is that there is um, a call to adventure in this journey of of the audience um, that we can be relevant. In the first step, we as a brand are not relevant yet, but we can be in the near future. So the the description of the ordinary world is really important. What is your audience's mindset at the moment you are not relevant yet, but can be in the near future? 
And then, um, then what we do is try to get all the, 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 the possibilities that will get, uh, this audience person, this member of the audience going on his journey. What is his call to adventure? Mm-hmm. Is it because he needs something? Is it because he wants to learn something? Is it, well, it, something triggers him to go on this journey, mm-hmm. but there's also something that fears him that, that, that makes him resist the journey. Mm-hmm. Maybe he thinks, um, it's, uh, it's nothing for him. It's, um, too expensive. It's, uh, not, um, well, not, doesn't fit his time at this moment, or he's just afraid to go on. And then we have to think of, uh, who can help him get, um, across that threshold? Who is the mentor that will uh, whisper into his ear <laughs> mm-hmm. what he needs to know, to learn, to hear? to get on this journey, on this adventure. And that's where you as a brand, that's, that's the second part of this, this journey. First is the, the part of the, uh, the known world. And this is the part of the adventure. And that's where you as a brand have to fight other brands, other content related, um, articles and, and stuff. And this is where you can really connect to your audience. And the reward of that part is your audience trusts you. And that's where you can start building on the relationship. And, you know, this, this is a model and it's, it's very hard to explain it into, um, in, in the podcast, but this model will give you insight on what content is relevant to your audience at what time in this journey. A thousand times, yes. Uh, or as they say here, amen, amen. <laughs> and there's a, a few things you, you, you quoted in the book, I can't remember if it was from Joseph Campbell, but the, you talk about these building blocks of the hero's journey are also the building blocks of our subconscious. I just love yeah. that. And it gets, gets to the to the trust uh, that you were, were mentioning. And um, the uh, a couple of other things, I'm sorry, I just have to quote, just based on what you were just talking about, you say the great question, and this is for any kind of content for a salesperson or marketing, the great question is what is holding your audience back? back. This is about the resistance within the same world, and it is often opposed to the triggers, the trigger that you mentioned that somehow makes this a priority, they need to go, the the call to action. And one other line that I just love was, who is the mentor for your (laughs) audience? Who can assist them with their doubts, challenges in the quest, doubts and challenges in the quest from the call to adventure? Yeah. You mentioned, um, competitors and I wanted to talk about content competitors. I just I just want to quote yeah. from the book and ask you to talk about this. You write, brands always know exactly who their direct competitors are. The brands offering the same services or products. Usually they have also studied substitute competition. The genuinely marketing driven organizations are familiar with the five forces framework competitive analysis model devised by Harvard Business School's Michael Porter. But as soon as we start working with content we are faced with an additional field of competition, the hmm. content competitor. So I think this is important. Explain the content competitor. Yeah, well, what you just said is so true because it's we, we know exactly who our product competitors are. But if you, well, I, I, I translate it into, for example, uh, uh, the food um, uh, market. If you are um, selling... Uh, uh, well, f- for example, supermarkets. Mm-hmm. A lot of supermarkets are um, creating content uh, with recipes. And of course, because, um, well, 
we all have to eat and we all have to eat during the weeks and the weekends we well maybe we make a bigger meal or something but um what we forget to 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 work out is that it's not only the other supermarkets that we compete with mm-hmm. in the in in the the field of content marketing in in the field of content actually but it's also all the food bloggers the food vloggers the tv shows um the spice well, companies every, everyone everyone and that's that's so the area of um uh, sharing recipes is quite crowded and that if you look at that from the perspective of the audience journey wh- who are your content competitors if you see that it's so crowded over there Maybe you should go for another angle from your brand. Uh, maybe you should go for um, a food prepping or uh, it's a complete different kind of, uh, of, of angle for your content strategy. But what it also does is it gives you an, uh, an overview of uh, media partners because it can also give you insights on what food vloggers or uh, maybe uh, bloggers are... Um, perfect fit for my brand and they can also be your mentor to get the resistance of your audience to get them cross the threshold so it's it really gives you a lot of insight on what to do and what not to do and who to uh, partner with and who you're competing with absolutely and i think the point is that companies need to understand that they have more probably more content competitors than they do direct competitors yeah. and it also brings yeah. to mind this idea that of uh, from a book on the show a few years ago, this is where I finally uh, understood it. I'm a slow learner, Carlene, but it was <laughs> called The Science of Sales, Science of Selling by David Hoffeld. And he <laughs> explained very brilliantly that you may be thinking of your direct competitors as the only other options that your buyers have, but really your competition is any option, any, any alternative to what you're selling. So, in other words, he might have been a sales trainer, but realistically, he was competing with books about sales where somebody could say, oh, I'm yeah. just going to buy a book for my whole sales team. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's very uh, important, but it's also important to help people realize that they're really, as, as Jay Bear will say, they're competing with cat videos. <laughs> it's more than yeah. just, they're not saying, I'm going to evaluate only supermarkets who offer recipes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what you just did was was perfect in the serial content uh, equation, by the way. You refer to another <laughs> episode, and we can all scroll back to that to have a look at that one. Because th- that's also something that, that in binge marketing you should be using. If you have one episode, you have to refer to other episodes. Maybe um, a, a quick view on uh, what's on next week or um, a flashback <laughs> to right. a previous year. For example, so <laughs> well. So now that you're I'm learning, read, yes, I'm learning, <laughs> and, and and I think we can all appreciate just how uh, what a challenge that is. But uh, I uh, the, I read your book. It, it's it, it, it I marinated in it, and now it's uh, in my subconscious. And so I was doing something a binge marketer would do <laughs> without even realizing it. Yeah. You're that good. Your book was was that good. But you know, it's funny. Um, not to talk about me and the marketing book podcast, but I hear from so many listeners who will discover the show and they'll start listening to it. And then they start going back and listening to all yeah. 300. <laughs> I'm just thinking, Oh my goodness. Wow. And every week I can see that people are going back and, and, and listening to them. So yeah, I appreciate them doing that. I hope they find it uh, helpful. I wanted to ask you just a couple of the questions. One was about 
uh, format. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, again, a quote, you, you write about too many content creators, um, do just that. They, they create content. Uh, they churn out new content week after week. There are no recognizable elements for the audience because that content is presented in a range of different formats. But what the audience actually needs is a structure and a recognizable format. And creating formats for content is not only handy for content creators, but also for your audience. Can you talk a little bit more? You know, we talked about brand standards, but can you talk a little bit more about formats, the idea of, of formats, what folks should be thinking about? Yeah, well, a format, I think the best um, uh, comparison is a format on TV. Mm-hmm. If you have a talk show, it has a format. It has, um, you can't say what's in it next week, but you do know that it is on and uh, that it has 10 minutes a talk at the uh, with with someone from the news and uh, it has a video on the streets or you know that it's structured it's a it's a format that has not yet the content in it but we are going to recognize it and this um you can have you have a format with your podcast as well also um the content is different every episode but the episodes are the same. So we get to used to uh, listening to it and how it's structured. But also, um, and that is something that we have to uh, merge here because I was talking about the plot summary. If you have your formats, then your plot summary should guide you on what should be the content for your format. Mm-hmm. So that, that can be, um, it can be, of course, it can be video. Um, for example, what do we have? Um, uh, the street interviews is a format and maybe you should have your um, your main characters going on the streets and ask people for, um, well, what they, it depends on what you're going to do, of course, but that's the street interview. Um, but you have to um, think of, does this format, what the content of this format, does it fit my plot summary? So can people still recognize it if I do the second uh, or the sixth or the tenth format and episode in this case? Um, and do people still recognize it's me, it's my brand, it's this brand? And are we building our brand from this format as well? So it gives you structure on um, what you have to create, but the plot summary is um, the content you have to put into that structure. Mm. One last thing I wanted to ask you about the book was about ROI, which of course, you know, is very near and dear to every uh, marketer's heart. Your business partner, Josip de Jong, yeah. if I pronounced that correctly, is quoted as saying, and I love this, without new metrics for a clear ROI on content, our field of expertise will not survive beyond the boardroom. Yeah. <laughs> it jumped right off the page at me. And I yeah. wanted to uh, quote uh, just one last time from the book and ask you to talk about finding, retaining, and activating. You write, there are a lot of factors that influence the results of your content efforts. In practice, this makes it more difficult to allocate results to content. But it's an admission of weakness if we keep concluding that it's not or hardly measurable. There are enough variables that give you insight into whether or not your content efforts have been successful. Which variables are the most relevant to your approach depends on your end goal. Measuring the effect of content can be done based on finding, retaining, and activating your audience. Can you touch on those three, the finding, retaining, and and activating? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Well, it it also has... um uh, it, it also comes from 
the audience journey because finding an audience is actually from step one until step four, the depart of your audience from its known world. This is, this is where we use mass media and, uh, PR and, and, and a lot of, um, well, uh, what I said, mass media. Um, so that's where we have to find a new audience. And if we say we have to, we, we would like to have, um, well, the rise of monthly visitors on a website until, uh, well, 2000, uh, a month, for example. That's good for the Netherlands, by the way. I don't know how it is in the, in the USA. Those numbers are higher, I think. But, um, th- this is, this is just the find new audience. And the second part is, and that's where, uh, the, uh, the adventure of the the audience is is the uh, retain of your audience and that, that can be returning visitors that can be uh, measured in uh, uh, people scrolling down the page where you get them uh, so, so that's where you have to get people back that's the second uh, time you um, uh, you connect with them and get them hooked and get them hooked exactly <laughs> to get to to have them subscribe or anything and that's the the activation part because that's where um well from the the part that your audience trusts you as a brand you can't just sit back and relax you have to um get them to subscribe to your podcast for example or to your newsletter or maybe if if he's ready you can of course you can offer uh, something he can buy and then nurture him for um the rest but that's the that, that's where we start. We we want um, a new audience, and we can put numbers to it. Then we want uh, from that um, amount of of uh, audience persons members, we want people to come back to us. Mm-hmm. And that's also why you need serial content. Mm-hmm. And the last part is how can we activate them in any way to um, participate with us with our brand? And that that's when you. Um, when you're focusing on getting a first line connection to your audience. So um, it, it's actually, it's the subscription economy. You want, you want to be able to get your news out to the audience once it is a loyal and trusted audience for you. And that's the activation part. Yes. And uh, so I've built this audience here and I guess maybe now's the time to say that if anyone wants to send me a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon, <laughs> I've, you know, that's my that's my activation. Yeah, I'm going to see how activated my audience is. So, Carlene, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, I, I would really hope that I've inspired people to look at their brand like it were a, a, a great television series. And that's metaphorically speaking, of course, because you don't have to create all video. You can also create audio and, and text. But um, every piece of content that you create have to be has to be... Um, an episode of that same series. And I think that's when you start creating binge-worthy content because it it is from one story and it's not a campaign focusing on uh, the short-term goals to get the sales numbers up or... Um, well, it, it starts with trying to connect with the audience for the long run. And I really hope that the the idea of binge marketing as a main story, a basic story that will be divided actually into episodes and maybe into seasons, that is something you can just start with. So I really hope people will get that from my book. 
it's easy it's it's a way of thinking and a way of working and it really really helps to get your story across well i would say you're successful based on this research uh, of one person (laughs) having read your book and here's why i say that I'm thinking about that now. It's like um, years ago, I read a book called Audience by Jeff Roars, where, uh, and you probably met him at Content Marketing World, but, and he was on the show a while back. Sorry, I had to, you know, had had to do my binge thing. But he wrote about an audience and he was explaining some years back about why now you have to build an audience. And of course, you can see how this fits in with with your book as well. But I was thinking back over the years that I've been in content marketing where, I would want I would have wanted to say if a client was asking for something I would want to ask questions to find out is this something that somebody would want to binge on <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. it's <laughs> such a great heuristic a great shortcut and I, I just think back to you know somebody saying oh well, we want to have a newsletter let's say and we want to talk about our projects yeah. and our services and I'm just thinking is this is this some well first off I know that the client's mom wouldn't even read it, and she's proud of him. But <laughs> it's the sort of thing like, well, is this something where you'd, you'd, you'd want more and more of? Um, so, like, we have yeah. one client where we do that with a newsletter, and it's really, really successful. So, so I've, I've tasted the wine, and I, and I want more. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's my second wine reference. <laughs> so, what is one thing a listener could do today? Just one thing to put in action an idea from your book or something that we've talked about. Yeah, well, start with your plot summary. What what if you were to explain to, uh, well, for example, your mom, what the series of your brand should be about? So not explain what the product does or um, what 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 you what you're selling, but explain if you created a series, what would it be about? And then um, you can start with the ingredients. Who should be the persons, the group of persons, maybe to tell my story? What is the arena? But also what themes, in three to five themes, I would say. It's, it's also written in my book, the, the ingredients. And something else, the genre. It's also very interesting. What genre is your series about? That's something you can just start working on right now. And if you have all the ingredients, try to put it into uh, one paragraph or maybe two that could fit on uh, the back of a DVD. And if you give it to another person... Would he or she say, that's interesting, I want to watch this or read this or listen to this, then it's well probably the right, the right move. But I can assure you, if you're trying to talk about your products, then he won't be interested, probably. <laughs> Approximately 100% of people won't be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Approximately. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's such a great flag to plant. And if you can't work it into there, then you've got some more work to do. But it really is a, uh, it's the linchpin, I think. Yeah. So, what books or other works have most inspired <laughs> your work and career? Yeah. Well, we talked about showrunners already. And what started after I argued with my daughters every evening, um, <laughs> what started now, wait, this I have idea? To interject. How old are your daughters now? Uh, they're nine and 12. Okay. Um, I have a daughter who's 23. And I'm okay. going to do you a favor and not tell you what's ahead as far as <laughs> arguing with their mother. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Go okay. Ahead. That was not a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, but but uh, I watched the documentary of Des Doyle, and he made a documentary about showrunners. So he went along with showrunners in Hollywood, and it's it's a job actually nobody wants because it's eighty hours a week. <laughs> but it gives you an insight on 
what what you have to do to get this story straight and to get the episodes uh, on show on time <laughs> mm-hmm. and to get an audience for it. So so that that's that's one of the the documentaries that I saw on Netflix, but I don't think it's there anymore. Uh, but well, you can also um, Google for it. Maybe maybe you can watch it yeah, somewhere. It's showrunners. I'll, I'll try to include a link to some information about that in your episode's yeah. website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. Yeah. Well, and another one is, of course, Narrative Economics by Robert Schiller. It's about stories and uh, how it influences the economy. And that's actually that's exactly the same as what I'm talking about here. I also refer to it, by the way. So, uh, Narrative Economics. Well, great. Are there any yeah. recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? Uh, yeah, well... I was just, uh, CMI just pl- published uh, um, a list of 24 must-read marketing books that happen to be written by women. Oh, I saw that, yes. <laughs> yeah, and one uh, title really in- in- intrigued me, and I ordered the book, but it takes uh, two weeks to get it shipped over to the Netherlands. So I haven't read it yet, but it's Unflubbify Your Writing by Sarah Rosinski. And oh. I think it's it's interesting. I can learn a little bit more of English, I think. and um, well, it's if we have to create stories, we have to try to to get them across in an unflubbified way. <laughs> oh, that sounds great! Writing. Yeah, yeah. I will and include then, a link to that article. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. There are more, much more uh, great books in there, by the way. Also, oh. if you have to, if you if you can't think of anything to create your content about, or if you don't know how to start it, this also the Content Fuel Framework, I think. Oh, but by Melanie Diesel. Yeah. Oh, yes. that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> she yeah. was on the podcast as well. See what I did there? Uh, yeah, great. You're learning. <laughs> yes, I'll include a link to her interview. I loved that book. I love that yeah. book. And it was one of yeah. the best interviews uh, I uh, have done. It was just a, a terrific concept, and, and we immediately started applying some of those uh, the oh, ideas yeah. from there. You could come up with a hundred different content ideas yeah. that's a great that's a great the only thing i would like to add there is try to create your plot summary first and then put it into the content fuel framework excellent <laughs> yes yes you're absolutely right you're absolutely because otherwise you can go crazy with a bunch of ideas that had to do more yeah. with as i recall um different ways to uh produce or distribute your content but it wasn't um it didn't focus so much on um well i guess it did but but yes you're right yeah let's let's uh let's go ready uh, aim and then fire, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than yeah. ready, fire, aim. So yeah, exactly. uh, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable, including the books that you've mentioned, to your uh, website, to your LinkedIn profile. And I hope that listeners will connect with you and thank you for uh, joining us on the show. And for you, dear listener, if you've uh, found something inspiring or helpful or you have a question for Carlene, I do hope you'll reach out and if nothing else, and ask her or at least just thank her for being on the, the podcast. There are over a million podcasts out there and Carlene has decided to be on this one. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm really grateful. And also other guests on the show just love hearing from the listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast. And if you're in the Netherlands, you are required by law to reach out to Carlene, <laughs> please. So, um, And if you're listening on the, your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. 
The name of the book is Binge Marketing, The Best Scenario for Building Your Brand. The author is Carlene Postma. Thank you well, Carlene. Heel fine met you to prata en success. <laughs> Heel erg graag gedaan. Thank you well. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, which monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings for free. It's a very advanced free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use, why even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at hrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. You can also find a link to it at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com along with a video that shows you how it works. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune. 